Okay, I'm here with Jeremy Hammond again, um, independent journalist who has been writing a lot about uh, COVID-19. He also writes about vaccines, about the Middle East, uh, a number of a number of things. But um, I asked him to come today because he's one of the few people I know who's actually read a whole lot of the science behind masks. There's this great debate about does it make sense to have, does it make sense to wear masks, in what situations, for whom, um, and are these mask mandates, is there any sense behind them? So, Jeremy, welcome. Um, thank you. Thanks, thanks for coming back. And what's the deal with masks? <laughs> well, the debate, the, the debate has been kind of polarized between two viewpoints, where one is, you know, you must wear a mask. If you're going, if you're going to go out in public, you must wear a mask. And on the other hand, you have kind of um, people opposed to that saying you should never wear a mask and they're only going to increase your risk of infection and, um, or, or, or you just shouldn't wear one just because we're being told to. And so there's this kind of, you know, sense of we must exercise our, our liberty and our rights and so defy these orders for that reason. Um, neither of those views are reasonable. Neither are evidence-based. Um, so we need to take a really objective, you know, apolitical approach to this. Uh, and just look at what the science actually says. And unfortunately, as usual, the media is not reporting what the science says. The media is saying this is the science, but then you go and check their own sources and read the studies, and the studies don't say what, they're, what we're being told that they say. Um, so the, the deal is with, this, with masks is this, is that every individual has, should make their own decision based on their individual circumstances, and every circumstance is unique. For me personally, you know, living here in northern Michigan, uh, we're under orders to wear a mask anytime we go out in public, uh, not not outdoors, but anytime you're like in a grocery store or something, um, you're under orders to wear a mask. But I mean, here I go to my Walmart or my Meyer here, and it's not a crowded store. There's limitations on how many people can be allowed in the store in the first place. Um, and it, but e even with those limitations, I mean, it's just it's no busier than usual. I mean, it, we're just not a very populated area, and so it's not crowded. I, I rarely you know, within a close proximity with other people, you know, no, no more than a couple of seconds, usually passing somebody in the aisle. And even now there's aisles have like one way arrows and things that you can like walk one way down the aisle and right. all this nonsense. Uh, and so they're limiting the number of people that can go into the stores uh, in the first place. People are social distancing. I mean, there's limits, like there's spots in the lines, you know, you need to maintain six feet of, of distance in that context it doesn't make any sense for healthy people to wear a mask. And, and, and why so, not? You know, why not? I mean, isn't it, you know, we get, we get the impression from, I guess, from the mandates themselves that, oh my God, you know, there's a, a runner, a jogger running past me. They could have it. They could, it could sprinkle over to me and I could get it too. Yeah. What, what does the science actually say about that kind of transmission? Well, that's exactly the thing. We need to look at, uh, you know, apart from the discussion of masks, we need to understand how the virus is actually transmitted. And so there's a universal, non-controversial acknowledgement that the primary mode of, of transmission is respiratory droplets from coughing and sneezing. Okay, yeah. That's yeah. completely uncontroversial. Nobody disputes that. So obviously, if you don't have any symptoms, you're not coughing or sneezing by definition. If you're not coughing or sneezing, you know, you're not spreading it via that route. So then there's the question of airborne transmission uh, or transmission, you know, for example, just talking 
uh, especially at a, at a high volume or singing, you know, even just breathing, you can transmit particles, uh, which can contain vir viral particles. And so, there, so there's a, this question of, of the airborne transmissibility. And the way the media cover this issue, it's as though, you know, there's all these asymptomatic people walking around with the infection and they have no idea that they're infected and they're just spreading the virus through the air and infecting other people. And that this is like one of the dominant modes of transmission. This is completely false. It's a totally false characterization. Um, and so the, it, it can happen. It, there's a hypothetical uh, theoretical possibility of it happening in a, in a community setting, but the only cases in which it's been documented where airborne transmission has actually occurred. And I should, before I get into that, I should be very clear. When I say airborne, people have this sense of, well, even just if you cough and it's in the air, right? And that's airborne transmission, but that's not, there's, there's a technical meaning for the word airborne in the literature, which means smaller droplets, smaller particle size uh, that linger in the air for a longer period of time. So when you cough, they're larger droplet size and they don't evaporate immediately and and they tend to just fall to the ground. So that's why, you know, there's a six feet distance, you know, mm -hmm. just a guideline, uh, just generally speaking, that those droplets are just going to fall and they're not going to remain lingering in the air. So when I talk about airborne transmission, we're talking about the, the aerosolized particles um, that, that can linger in the air for a longer period of time. And Most that could be from not coughing. That could just be from speaking or... Speaking, singing, breathing. Um, yeah, those, those types of... Um, that that can actually you know you you can emit those types of particles. The problem is most of the studies that they talk about that the media and public health officials are relying on to say that airborne transmission is a you know significant risk from asymptomatic carriers specifically. Um, they're mechanistic studies, so that you know they're they're looking at things in a lab controlled environment where they're like artificially generating these particles in, you know, in, in, in some lab environment. Uh, one study, for example, that Forbes cited to say that, you know, everyone should wear a mask because now studies show that the, the virus it remains, uh, you know, aerosolized in the air for a long period of time. And you go to read the study <laughs> and they, they had somebody breathe into, you know, or cough, or, no, I'm sorry, it was talking, they were speaking repeatedly into a box, eight cubic foot box, and then they measured the amount of viral particles, you know, or, or actually just the particles uh, in the air uh, inside the box. And so, yeah, if you're trapped in an eight <laughs> cubic foot box with somebody, you might want to wear a mask, you know, right. I mean, it's ridiculous. It's absurd. And so this is the thing. It, it, the, the risk of airborne transmission really is, is also only significant if you're in prolonged close contact with people. If you're outdoors, the, the the risk is negligible because it's dispersed in, by the air and it's it, you know the, because in the the dose is important so that you know the amount of virus is important so dose and duration of exposure are very important um, a New York Times article for example was was citing was arguing recently that that the science is settled that everyone should wear a mask and they cited a study the findings of which in fact they drew the conclusion that it, it would it would be required for people to be in close contact for an extended period of time in order for aerosolized transmission to occur, which is completely <laughs> the opposite of the message that the New York Times is, is citing the study to support. 
Um, and so, it, and so there are cases like this. They, they tend to happen with like what's called super spreader events. So an example was there was a, a choir practice in Washington early, I think it was in March, earlier in, in the epidemic, um, Washington State, um, where you know, nobody had report, you know, evidently had any symptoms, or at least they, they didn't recall having any symptoms. Uh, and yet, you know, a number of people in the choir came away uh, with COVID-19 or developed COVID-19 after the practice. The CDC did a pretty thorough investigation of that incident, and they, they determined that it, there was likely aerosol, aerosol transmission, so airborne transmission of the virus. But, you know, you're talking about 120 you know, people crammed together, standing together, singing. you know, singing at a loud volume <clears throat> for, you know, however, however many hours or it's an extended duration of time. The idea that you're going to walk by somebody in the grocery store and get sick from them or, or put them at risk, you know, when you're healthy and you're not coughing, you're not sneezing, you're just breathing and, and you're putting people at risk. I mean, this is nonsense. There's no, it's just not evidence-based. It's not supported by what we actually know. It's not supported by the actual data and the actual scientific evidence. So the study that the New York Times cited, um, what exactly did it find? Did it, did it come out saying there's you know, there's really not a risk of aerosolized transmission except in very close quarters, or did it just say, you know, we've identified a risk in these close quarters, but not, how, how definitive was that? Well, you know, if, if, if you took the New York Times word for it, it showed that masks are 100% effective. <laughs> they literally <laughs> said that, that the masks were shown to be 100% effective in, in blocking uh, uh, oh, aerosol wow. transmission from breathing. They said specifically from breathing, but you go and read the study and actually it wasn't just from breathing. There were, the people were actually, there were, there were people with symptoms. Mm, so that, okay. the, the idea, the purpose of it, they were, they were trying to measure um, viral uh, transmission just from breathing, but people were coughing during the whole time. And so they measured that as well. So they're measuring coughs in addition. Uh, secondly, they, they, uh, and this this was not with SARS coronavirus too. This was this was they're talking about common human coronaviruses, so oh. and also influenza. They were looking at influenza, rhinoviruses, and common human coronaviruses. So this so, wasn't even a study about COVID nineteen. No, no, it oh, wasn't. Okay, okay. Yeah, and, uh, <laughs> and I'm trying to recall the, the specific details of the study, but uh, one of them was so they had four individuals who wore the masks. And it, they, they, they showed that, you know, that the masks, they, those people, they didn't measure any, you know, uh, uh, aerosols from, from those four individuals who were wearing the masks. The problem is also with the, the 10 people or, or 11 people, depending on whether they were measuring the larger uh, respiratory droplets or the aerosols, also, most of them also, they could not detect any, any vi you know, uh, virus uh, being emitted from those people. So they're so not really the comparing it against anything. Yeah, well, I mean, they were comparing, you know, people who wore masks versus people who didn't wear masks. And there were they more all got people, the same result. There were more people in, in the masked group than, than there were only four in, in the, who didn't wear the mask. Okay. Uh, but, and the results weren't statistically significant for the respiratory droplets, meaning it, it could just, you know, it's likely that, that the result could just be due to chance alone. Um, it was statistically significant for the aerosolized transmission. But again, I mean, most of the people, they pointed out that most of the people who, who didn't wear the mask, also they could detect no virus. Right. Um, 
being emitted from them. And for those who did, the, the, uh, the amount was very low. And so this is why they pointed out, I mean, they explicitly stated, so, you know, that, they, that their data indicate that even with aerosolized transmission, uh, that close contact would be a requirement. You'd have to be in prolonged close contact with an individual to actually mm-hmm. be at any significant risk of infection through this mode of transmission. And they were, they were, that was absolutely explicit. They drew that conclusion explicitly. <laughs> wow. Wow. Yeah. And are there any studies looking that actually look at COVID-19 that look at asymptomatic people transmitting, you know, the, the ability to transmit um, aerosolized particles if you're asymptomatic? Are there any studies... Uh, not any controlled studies that I'm aware of. There's observational studies just looking at case, you know, like case studies, um, you know, again, like these super spreader type events or, or, you know, where they investigate transmission in a hospital setting or, or maybe in a household setting or something. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, and so there are those type of studies and, you know, and some of them have concluded that uh, asymptomatic transmission was likely to have occurred, but, you know, there's so many, caveats to all their findings and things. And, you know, again, prolonged close contact is one of the, one of the kind of requirements for this type of transmission. So, you know, if you're in a house, if you're in a crowded household with, with someone who's infected, you know, with all your kids who are home from school. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and the, the bread earners in the family are also home, you know, they're not yeah. out. And in fact, there was a study I was just reading this morning. There was a, a, a meta-analysis I read. And one of the studies that was included in the meta-analysis was the only one that the, the authors could find related to um, this type of transmission, uh, where it related to actually the, the closure of work, the social distancing policy, where they just shut, close work, and send workers home. <clears throat> they, you know, unexp- unsurprisingly, they found that yeah, it reduced the, the transmission in the workplace. <laughs> but guess what happened? The people were at home; they were at an increased risk of infection right. from being at home with right. people, you know, with household members who were infected. So. <laughs> Um, so yeah, that, that's really important that the dose and duration of exposure is a, is a critical factor. And so it, it, there's also like an opportunity cost. So even if you were, you know, like you, you could go to the store and maybe you'll, you pass by somebody and you just hypothetically, if, if you could get infected from them, like breathing, <laughs> you know, six feet away from you, um, that would be, that would be a, a low dose, very short duration exposure your immune system, you know, assuming that you have a functional immune system and you're not like immunocompromised in some way, is, is going to effectively uh, deal with right from the start without the infection, you know, really developing. And so you're going to develop that, that immunity to the virus without being at risk of severe illness. So that, you know, the dose is a, is a risk factor for severe illness. And so there, you know, if, even if you consider it hypothetically in those terms, there's, that's an opportunity cost that we also need to think about. Um, if it's like the perfect, you know, that would be like a perfect vaccination, you know, if you think right. about and, it that way. And are, are, there, are there studies sort of indicating what that dose, the dose you're talking about would be, or what, what's sort of the threshold beyond which it then becomes, you're then sort of more at risk of, of infection, assuming you have a functioning immune system. Is, are there studies showing what that threshold is? No. Okay. Okay. <laughs> they don't but know. it exists. Yeah, no, it, it's, I mean, every, every time I read one of these studies about transmission or masks, they always acknowledge that, you know, that they're not certain, um, you know, what viral load is really necessary uh, for, for uh, infection to occur. 
Um, but so, and, and that's one of the, that's one of the caveats to these stu- studies that found, for example, you know, they, they, there are studies finding viral RNA, for example, uh, you know, in contaminating the environment. And so there's this, that's another type of transmission you know, risk of the fomite transmission that you're going to touch something that somebody, you know, else has touched right. or they coughed around or something and you're going to, you know, then touch your face and, and get sick or infect yourself that way. Uh, but, you know, most of these studies, just because they detected the viral RNA doesn't necessarily mean that it was still uh, viable. It doesn't necessarily mean right. that it was infectious. Right. Uh, and so in the, w- the WHO, the World Health Organization, in its guidance, uh, has pointed this out, that yes, there are, there is evidence to suggest the, hypoth- you know, the possibility of airborne transmission and of this type of transmission, uh, or fom- fomite transmission, but it hasn't been proven. It's still just theoretical, you know, contrary to, you know, the, the, the recognized universally acknowledged primary mode of transmission, which is the respiratory droplets, coughing, sneezing. Um, So that's where it gets, it gets tricky. And, but what's really clear is that, um, you know, again, looking at the documented cases with like the super spreader events and things uh, it would, you'd have to be, you know, for example, if you were going to be on public transportation, Mm-hmm. might be a good idea to wear a mask as a courtesy to others. Obviously, if, if you're symptomatic and you're coughing and sneezing, um, the mask can, you know, it, it is a physical barrier to larger droplets. Yeah. Um, you asked about studies looking specifically at, at SARS-CoV-2 as opposed to, you know, other like in, influenza. Most of the mask studies look at influenza. It's one of the things. But mm-hmm. there, there was one that, that actually looked at the effectiveness of masks. They compared people who didn't wear a mask with people who did wear a mask. It was a small. It was a small number of people. I think it was like four people in the, in each sample size or something. Uh, and actually, no, they, they they didn't have a control group. It was just people who were infected, uh, with, who were symptomatic, and they had them, you know, cough through through the mask. And they and it, they tested different types of masks: the surgical masks versus cloth masks. Yeah. And things. And they showed that uh, you know the viral particles pass right right through the masks. Right. Right. But the uh, droplets don't necessarily. So. The larger right, droplets, so the, yeah, it, it can, I mean, it's just, it's a literal physical barrier to, yeah. to larger droplets, but then, you know, you get down to the fabric weaving <laughs> size and, and I mean, the, the particles are so small that they just, it's not a physical barrier, barrier, barrier at all. Um, and, and the other, the other factor is that there's, there's, it's not just, and so most of these studies that look at like the effectiveness of the physical barrier, barrier, they're just looking at the effectiveness of the mask material, you know, at actually preventing various particle sizes from passing through. What they're not, what they don't consider and they don't measure typically in those types of studies, and like, again, these mechanistics type of studies, is the fact that, you know, people, you know, unless you're wearing like a, a fitted respirator, an N95 respirator yeah. that's properly fitted, it there's doesn't gaps. seal. There's <laughs> yeah. some gaps yeah. all around the mask. It doesn't seal against your face. And so and this is why it's recognized that, you know, apart from the N95 respirators, even surgical masks are not effective at preventing the wearer from becoming infected because the the, the viral particles either just pass right through the mask or they just, you know, due to the airflow and the aero, the dynamics of the airflow, they just pass right around it. Um, so, you know, this is why the, the European Center for Disease Control, for example, in, in, what, in their guidance document has, has said there's no evidence that wearing masks protect in the community setting protects the wearer. Mm-hmm. Um, again, contrary to the New York, the same New York Times article cited in, in you know, an expert 
you saying that, you know, masks are an effective physical barrier, you know, uh, preventing the wearer from becoming infected. It's like, well, where's the science to support that opinion? I mean, it's, it's ridiculous. And, 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 you know, as, as the ECDC points out, the European CDC points out, there's no quote unquote, no evidence to support that. To support that. <laughs> Meanwhile, on the other, on the other hand, though, there, there is evidence to show that masks can actually cause harm. Is that right? Yeah, and this is one of the things that also, um, you know, the, the ECDC policy guidance document, the, the WHO's policy guidance document point out that, you know, these indiscriminate uh, policy measures just telling everyone, regardless of individual circumstances, to wear a mask in, in, in a community setting can actually increase the risk of, of transmission. Because, so for example, if, if, if fomite transmission is a significant mode of transmission, if we, if we enter that hypothetical realm and say, yeah, well, you, if you're touching something and then you, you touch your face, you're going you're gonna to infect yourself. Well, you know, people who are unused to wearing masks, you know, they're not, they're not, you know, in the, they're not healthcare workers, they're not doctors, they're, they're not used to it. I mean, I go around the store and I look around and I see people, you know, number one, the people are always pulling you when they're away from other people, they right. just grab it and they pull it down right. so they can breathe easier. <laughs> and then they walk by somebody, they grab it and they pull it up against their face or they're just like, they're adjusting it on their face and they're doing this and they're making adjustments. And everywhere I look constantly, every time I go to the store, I look around and I see people touching their face more. So if that is a significant mode of, you know, if, if, if fomite transmission is a significant mode of transmission where you're going to touch something and then touch your face and infect yourself, well, masks just increase the risk. Yeah, yeah. So these policies, <clears throat> um, you know, point that out. Yeah, but the, the, there are also, we've heard now cases of hypoxia and there were these two kids in China who died. Um, I don't know if the, the cause of death was determined, but they right. had been exercising in class and yeah each of them passed out and died. Sure. Um, you know, and, and just, you know, anecdotally, I'm hearing stories about people passing out. Everybody I know who, who is out and about wearing masks, you know, most of them say, yeah, I start to feel lightheaded. Um, mm -hmm. There are a few cases of car crashes because somebody passed out while they were driving. I mean, there are real risks to wearing masks. Is, is there a lot of science behind that? The, yeah, the I mean, that's one of the arguments of the, the no masker type type people um, who, who say, you know, right. there's, like almost like, as they don't explicitly say under no circumstance should you wear a mask, but that's the general message. Yeah. Um, you know, I see that argument cited a lot um, by the, those people. Um, the important caveat to that is, is the studies looking at that. They're not talking about surgical masks or cloth masks. They're looking at N95 respirators specifically. And yeah, there's no question mm -hmm. that when you wear that mask with that seal around your face for a, a prolonged period of time, you're reducing your oxygen intake, which could potentially lead to hypoxia uh, and, and, and increasing your carbon uh, dioxide intake. Yeah. So uh, yeah, there's no question about that. Again, with the surgical masks and the face masks, under you know a typical circumstance, it's you're probably not you know you're not going to get hypoxia from it, um, but it's different if you know you see you know I've seen the, the for example the articles you're referring to you see, you see pictures of in in the media of kids in China or, or wherever in Asia Korea uh, out you know on the track outdoors <laughs> running right next to each other wearing masks in the heat and that's crazy. And the, the fact that the policymakers are, are like dictating that that's, this is what kids should be doing. That's, that's insane. And it's totally, un, you know, it's so not 
evidence-based and, and they're not like considering the risk, like, like, like what you're talking about, you know, obviously if you're just walking around and, and you're, uh, if assuming that you don't have like breathing problems already, and if you have some kind of yeah. respiratory problems to begin with, then, then uh, you're, you're increasing your risk. But um, you know, if I was just to wear a mask going to the store, I'm not going to get hypoxia from it. But if I was going to go outside and go running, you know, yeah, right. that's going to affect my ability to intake oxygen. And, uh, and it's going to significantly, you know, I'm going to get overheated. I'm not going to be getting the oxygen that I need, that my muscles need, uh, that my brain needs. Um, so I mean, that's just common sense. Yeah. So here's, here's my, <clears throat> my personal pet peeve because um, I have a daughter who has special needs. She's, um, you know, she's nonverbal. She can't tell us if she's having issues mm. and we're starting to hear, I'm, I'm seeing articles now about how to get your child with autism to wear a mask, how to get your, your child who doesn't understand the concept of masks to wear a mask in the, in school settings and that sort of thing. And, um, it sounds like from what you're saying and kind of from what I've heard elsewhere, it sounds like there are very specific situations where it could make sense to wear a mask. And, and when I say mask, I'm not talking about the N95. I'm talking about like a cloth mask or yeah. maybe a surgical mask. Right. Um, you know, it sounds like, yeah, if you're going to be practicing with your choir, you know, for, <laughs> for an hour and you're all standing in close quarters, or if you're, if you are stuck in, in a two by two box, you know, with, with yeah. 12 other people and, you know, sure there are, or, or even, you know, more reasonable situations. If like, if you're in a car with a bunch of other people or something for a long time, if somebody's caught on a crowded bus like, on the subway. Yeah. Yeah. And in fact, actually I was going to mention that there so there's, uh, I don't remember the name now, but there are these um, data scientists who just, who looked at all these different variables that could explain, you know, transmission of, of COVID-19. And they looked at things like the lockdowns, you know, do the lockdowns help to slow transmission? No, they don't. Um, population density, no. Um, age of population, no. The one thing they found that was a factor, that was, a, that was like a really strong factor, was time spent on public transportation. And so, you know, something like that, Okay, so this is a, this is a situation where it makes sense, but right. again, this as you're saying, this across the board, you know, mandate that everybody and and I mean, what gets me is demanding that children, especially who children who can't understand, and who are probably not in situations where they're going to be either at risk or posing a risk, right, are being asked to to wear these. It just that that infuriates me. That's just because it's, it's, you know, it seems to me that it's based on ignorance and it's imposing yes. this cost on, on children. It's just, yeah. Well, so children um, in general, I mean, this goes back yeah. to the risks we were talking about earlier. I mean, especially with children. I mean, I, I see, I walk around and see adults who don't know how to wear a mask properly and they're touching their face all the time and things. Imagine, I mean, children, even if you sit down with them and like, were to like, teach them and try to train them. I mean, there's still, it's just going to be a, a, a in, you know, something that they're not going to be able to control. It's just like an instinctive yeah. thing to kind of touch their, their mask all the time because it's uncomfortable to wear. And well, but uh, then there's also so, the issue of, you know, don't we want children to be getting it well, so that we can. Exactly. I mean, mm -hmm. the, the risk to children is really negligible. And there are, there are cases where children have gotten severely ill and even, and, and even died, but the, the, the numbers are tiny. And, and if you look at just the absolute risk, it's just negligible for children in particular. And even just generally for the population, for anyone under 65 who's healthy. Yeah. So if you're under 65 and you don't have underlying comorbidities, you know, other chronic illnesses, 
your risk of dying from, from SARS-CoV-2 infection is negligible. I mean, it really is a, it really is a disease that primarily affects older people who are already sick and many of them are already dying. That's just what the data indicate. And so the, yeah, I mean, the same thing with the, with the school closures, Yeah, the whole basis yeah. for the school closures, you know, it, it's kind of like, it's based on, you know, scientific data that looks at influenza transmission. And even then, you know, like the, the CDC has put out a guidance document and noting, you know, that, that that decision really needs to be made on the, at, at the local level based on local circumstances, not like statewide mandated closures, which makes right. no sense. And there's no scientific evidence to support. Even, it, you know, even if we use the influenza studies as our basis for them. And this is a different, this is a different virus. Right. Now, is there any reason to think with, with the mask studies specifically, is there any reason to think, um, <clears throat> because so many of those studies are, are using influenza or maybe other COVID viruses, is there any reason to think that COVID-19 transmission with or without masks would be any different from either influenza viruses or other COVID viruses? That would kind of depend on probably the, the aerosolized particle size. Um, which I, I don't have real clear numbers in my head about that. Um, I have seen some indications that it's, it's just a smaller, the viral particles are smaller than, than with influenza, but I, don't quote me on that because uh, that's just kind of an impression I have from just kind of reading so much in the literature. Again, I don't have like numbers in my head to be able to yeah. pull, pull off the top of my head. Um, but yeah, I mean, so it, that really depends on that. And also, again, it's, it's a matter of are the masks, number one, depending on the mode of transmission. So yeah, if, if, if you're coughing and sneezing, it can catch those, those larger respiratory droplets, but you're still, uh, it still produces, even then it produces, you know, like uh, jets of air. And there was one recent study mm -hmm. showing that, you know, when you wear the mask and, and you cough into it or even breathe heavily into it. Uh, yeah. It, it, it prevents us, you know, kind of this, this jet of air from, from extending out in front of you, projecting out in front of you, the direction that people, you know, consider, uh, when they instinctively turn their head to cough or sneeze or something. But the problem is, is that it actually creates this jet propulsion of air that extends, you know, upwards mm. out to the sides and behind mm. you. And so the authors of that study pointed out that, that they, they described that as dangerous <laughs> because, you know, people instinctively turn their head to cough or sneeze and they could actually be. They're actually aiming their. Increasing. Their yeah. That it just, there it goes. You're just shooting viral particles. And, and they, they were just looking at airflow. This is a big caveat to that study. They didn't actually okay. like detect, they weren't measuring viral transmission. They were right. just looking at airflow dynamics. Um, but that this, this just jet propulsion of air that just like ejects, uh, sideways or backwards so when you turn your head to cough you're actually potentially uh, putting people at greater risk of, of exposure assuming that you know the aerosolized transmission is occurring in the first place right uh, which again right. we've discussed the caveats with that assumption uh so so th there's that you know just how effective are the masks in in, in, the, in the first place and then uh you know the, the other consideration again is is the the risks and the potential of increased infection. Uh, another study looking at cloth, use of cloth masks instead of surgical masks. Um, in fact, the study I mentioned this morning, the meta-analysis I was reading this morning, pointed out uh, that the one, the one study that has looked at that found that there was an increased risk of infection versus wearing no mask. 
Oh, so mask. not versus not versus a surgical mask versus right. wearing. Oh, wow. yeah. So okay. they found that yeah, okay. obviously that the the risk was greater for the cloth huh. mask compared to the surgical masks, but also compared to no mask at all. Um, and I'm not sure if that was the same study I I read. I, I didn't check that. I didn't look up that that study, but it might have been the same study I read where they um, they attributed that to the fact that people just generally don't properly use the mask so they're they're reusing it mm-hmm. or they're using it and they're touching them their, their face a lot or they're not washing it you know every time that they, they come home and and, and they're right. not properly washing right. it it's, and things like this so just sitting on it's just, it. it's just kind of improper use um but again you know this is the problem with with these generalized indiscriminate orders like you must wear a mask at all times without considering and, and this is one of the things again going to the ecdc the who their their, their documents you know recommending policies for governments they're very explicit about saying that you know the 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 benefits and risks must be clearly communicated to the public that's not happening Mm -hmm. it certainly Mm -hmm. hasn't happened here in michigan in fact here in michigan uh you can go to the michigan.gov website and go to their their faq page their frequently asked questions page and one of the questions about masks is should i wear a mask to uh, protect myself from being infected and the answer to that faq question is Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> so they're not even they're not even claiming that it's to protect other people. Right. They're claiming that it's to protect you from infection, which again, which according is, to the ECDC, there's not gonna, no yeah. evidence to support. Yeah. I mean, it's not an evident evidence-based policy. And again, I mean, what I really want to stress is that the only thing that makes sense is is people need to be educated about number one, what are the modes of transmission, which we've mm-hmm. been over, how effective are masks at preventing uh, tr- transmission depending on, on the mode a- and then under what circumstances would it make sense then depending on those two things to actually wear a mask and so you know if you're not in crowded close contact you, and you mentioned earlier about the, the population density is not necessarily a risk factor yeah which is true but that's but uh it's not because because the distinction there is is that it's crowding mm-hmm. so if you have high population density with crowding in the households that's the risk factor so you can have a high right. high de- a population density, but you know, in the household setting, for example, there's not they're not they're not crowded households. So you know, wealthier, uh, populated areas, for example, where the people have bigger homes and yeah. uh, or maybe fewer family members in the home. Uh, you know, it, where it's the poorer communities where there's lots of crowding within the household. In right. that sense, the population density is a risk factor. But you know, so you, it's the individual circumstances. Right. Have to be right. Taken and that's, and that's the one thing that's not being, I don't, I don't hear that being said by any government agencies or um, you're, the people, or I should say the people who are actually making these proclamations about you must wear a mask. Yep. I don't hear anything about depending on your individual circumstances, you know, right. Who you're and that's the problem. That stuff. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 Um, just to wrap up, anything else, any other points you want to make about this? Um, any advice you have for people going out into the world with or without masks or in, in making, I, I didn't really get into this, um, but there's also, there's the whole social aspect of it. You know, mm-hmm. because of these recommendations, people are going to have an opinion about you based on whether you're wearing a mask or not. Um, right. right. Do you have any, just any advice or any, any, sort of thoughts for people going out there in these crazy I personally times. Am, not, am not wearing a mask when I go out. I, I bring one with me in case uh, I respect private property rights. There was one instance in which I was going to a small grocery store uh, where they were at capacity. So they had somebody 
they were only allowed 10 people in the store because they were a smaller store and it, it's, you know, they're under, they're under orders not to allow pe- more people in. So there was a guy standing outside and, and he just, I came up without my mask and he said, well, do you have, do you have a mask you could wear? And uh, I wasn't going to get into a debate with him and explain right. to him why it was un- totally unnecessary. Um, so just to show respect for the private property rights, uh, I went to my car and got the mask and put it on. Um, when, I, when I'm going to the grocery store, typically I, I'm, not, I'm not wearing it because it doesn't make any sense under my circumstances. You know, if, I, if I was going to a really crowd, you know, if the store was crowded all the time or, or, or if I was symptomatic, you know, I would put a mask on. I think here's the thing. We, we, we need to behave in a socially responsible manner. And so there, there are a lot of people out there, I think, you know, who are making these arguments that are really not socially responsible. And there are people behaving in ways that are not, so, not socially responsible. You know, for example, I'm all about, I'm all in favor of like protesting uh, lockdown orders and things, but then you, you get these mask, you know, crowds of people and they're, they're actually not distancing or they're not wearing masks and things. And that just, you know, that just feeds into the argument of the lockdown proponents. Mm. We can't do that. You know, we, we have to, if we're going to um, advocate liberty and individual choice, you know, we have to accept responsibility for our behaviors. And so I, what I advocate is, you know, I'm not saying, yes, you should wear a mask or no, you should not wear a mask one way or the other. I'm saying, you know, you should exercise that, that responsibility. This, you know, uh, you should exercise that choice in a socially responsible manner. And so I think that would be the point that I really want to emphasize, you know, let's be socially mm-hmm. responsible. Let's respect other people. If I was going to be in a, in a situation where I'm in prolonged close contact with others, yeah, I would put a mask on. Mm-hmm. Just out of respect and in uh, you know just just as a courtesy to others. Um, so you know let's 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 do that. Let's exercise. Uh, let's just show respect and common courtesy. And uh, but but let's not be ridiculous and and put masks on. <laughs> you know, we outdoors when we're when we're exercising away from other people. I mean it's absurd. Let's right. let's not go crazy here. Yeah, it seems it seems to me that the the whole mandate issue has has polarized it. You know, it's turned you have to either be a pro masker, and people are actually using the term anti masker now. I don't know if you've seen that. <laughs> Some people are actually. Yeah, does it surprise me? Yeah. So, but it, but it has really. I mean, I, and I'm seeing you know a lot of people are saying, "Well, I'll never wear a mask." You know, you can't force me right. to wear a mask. And right. if there hadn't been a mandate, you would never see that response. I don't think. Exactly. Yes, that's a very oh. good point. Because people are, are just instinctively rebelling against orders. Whereas, you know, again, right. Sweden is a great case where there were no orders. You know, the, the, the government implements policy recommendations and people just choose whether to or not. Uh, and, and, you know, people have been social distancing. They haven't, been, they haven't yeah. had to have dictated, or, you know, a dictator telling them to do that. They just, they know what's in their own best interest. And so they're going to act in their own best interest. Whereas if you're, they're being told to, it's almost like right. people are just like, I don't have to listen to you. You don't yeah. have no authority over me. It then becomes, you can't tell me what yeah. to do. It then and becomes so a power struggle that, thing. That counterproductive effect of that, I think. Yeah. 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 Okay. Um, it's, we've gone over time again, um, as usual. Thank you so much for coming on. Um, and I'm sure we'll be doing this again. Sure. Absolutely. Okay. Good to be with you again. Thanks. Thank you.